HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hi, this is Greg Bresnitz, one half the host of Snacky Tunes. We have had the honor of being nominated by Taste Awards for Best Radio Show and Best Podcast. Please head to bit.do backslash stvote in order to vote for Snacky Tunes and other food favorites. Once again, that's bit.do backslash stvote. And a big congratulations to Heritage Radio Network for being nominated into the Hall of Fame. Thanks so much. We really appreciate it. Today's program was brought to you by Roth, Wisconsin, makers of the world's best cheese and pioneers in the U.S. artisan cheese movement. For more information, visit RothCheese.com. Hey, everyone. This is David Tatashore, lead engineer and studio manager of the Heritage Radio Network, and I'm reaching out to ask for your support during our end-of-year fund drive. A contribution in any amount supports our weekly programming and our mission to make the world a more equitable, sustainable, and delicious place. Plus, you'll receive exclusive member benefits like monthly playlists, discounted event tickets, party invitations, and more. So if you like good food and you love good food radio, throw a little dough our way. Make your gift at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Happy holidays from all of us here at Heritage Radio Network. We talk about food, we talk about music, with musical dudes, finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. I'm hard-headed 
But completely soft inside I'm all wound up and still The only thing that I can say is Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Darren Bresnitz, sitting in the gorgeous Cannibal Restaurant out here in Culver City uh, with Francis Francis J. Derby. Francis J. Derby. What's the J stand for? John. Grandfather? Father's name? I'm a junior, actually. It's my oh. father's name. Okay. So I was named after my father, and my father was named after my uncle Fran. Can I ask? You can ask. Is there a pressure that comes with being named after someone else, like, so directly... Um, the only pressure I I it, I had ever thought about in 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 uh you know with, with that is if I were to one day have a kid, is it on me to name my kid Francis John? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> um, how do you feel right now in this moment? How do you? Feel? I don't feel like I'm having kids. So uh, okay, there we go. <laughs> All right. So maybe then like your next restaurant will have to be called like the Francis J. Derby. Yeah, right. That'll be my next kid. Which, is, isn't will a be bad my name for like a, a public house or a pub or something like no. that. Or even a steak like a really high end steakhouse. Uh, so Francis, we met Years out, and years. Years ago. and years ago in New York, and I feel like I'm I'm doing more interviews of New York guys out in California. Right. But we met years ago on the um, early, early sets of Dinner with the Band. Yeah. I met you through one glorious Sam Mason. Yeah, um, yep. that was the first the, the 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 first episode you guys shot before I guess it got picked up, right? Yes, yes, that was fun. That was my first um, food uh, styling gig. I remember uh, cooking like I can't. I don't exactly remember the the set, but I think it was like two burners and like like a, a grill top. It wasn't a kitchen. It was not. It was like <laughs> it was literally on like the a bar slash yeah. studio. Yeah, I remember. Um, and so you're from you're from New York. Through and through, Long Island. From, from Long Island, yeah. Um, from Long Island, grew up there. Um, 
my whole family's there. Uh, grew up there, my whole family's there, and um, moved to New York when I was like 20, 21, so 17 years ago. But growing up in Long Island, was I mean, was New York always the beacon when you're in Long Are you like in Long Island? Yeah, like, yeah, of course. Like, cut to the shot of you in your room and like the distant you know New York City lights which doesn't make sense geographically but yeah not geographically I'm more like I'm an hour and a half out on the on the south shore more of like a little uh, kind of you know white picket fence yeah beach town um, but no the the thing was yeah the first person that got their license it was off to New York City for all of us you know which would, which, which, which was my friend I think my friend TC he got. The, he has. He was the first of us to have a license. The second he had a car, we would all pile in the car every Friday or Saturday and go to the city and not know what the hell we were doing. What did you do? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> yeah, we drove around. We drove you can't around. Can't really do much as a seventeen-year-old that knows nothing about the city. But did you eat slices of pizza, things like yeah, that? Yeah, we'd get stuff. We get pizza. We go to Washington Square Park. Sure. Just be a bunch of you know kids. Yeah, be a seventeen-year-old. Um, but that was. I mean, even younger than that. Like my parents used to take me in on. You know, regular basis to go eat and go see Broadway shows, and like so, it was always a there was always this confusion in my head of why we would go there to have all this fun, but why we didn't live there. Right, I never understood that. You and know? your parents were like, "You enjoy having a backyard in space, right?" I mean, sure, yeah, but uh, when I was, you know, when I was a kid, like again, I, I didn't get, I didn't get why we didn't live there. But I remember there was there was a Joe Jackson video for Stepping Out mm. where it's all. Scenes of New York City, yeah, and it was that was one of the early videos on MTV, and I remember that coming on, oh. and and just watching that, and being like, I want that, like, yeah, yellow cabs and Central Park, and and uh, that yeah. was it. I mean, I grew up in, in the suburbs of Philadelphia, right, and New York, like Philly, was like that's nice, but New York was always the the magnet, the, yeah, the beacon. Um, now, your grandfather. Was a duck farmer. He was indeed. Did he, did he raise ducks out in Long Island? Yeah, yeah. No, we have a, a, a big old duck farm out there. Um, that, <laughs> I love how you say that. So, like, yeah, of course we had a duck farm in Long Island. Yeah, I mean, well, Long Island ducks are a thing. You yeah. know, I mean, there's. I think there's only one, one or two at the most duck farms left on Long Island. But it was it was a thing back back uh, back then. So how did your? I mean, one, how did your grandfather get into duck farming? And two. Was that your earliest introduction to being like, there's a connection between, here's a live animal, and then this is going to be on a plate later? Well, I mean, they, they uh, my great-grandparents moved here, and then, you know, they, they basically settled down in, in Patchogue, and they, they built their houses from scratch, literally, like, there's there's photos of them digging foundation and laying brick, and um, and then that's, that's when they, they all decided to go into business as farmers, which... Which was great because they didn't have to go to the war, and um, they um, they they were here to you know to farm, and 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 that was that was the plan, that was the chosen path. Uh, now, how how that played into food and you know and and my life was more the the fact that you know we're we're a big Italian family and. Yeah. That always revolves around food, and you know, like my 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 grandmother was the kind of grandmother that if you came to the house, no matter what time of day, you know, it's like that scene in Goodfellas when yeah. they all show up to get the knife to get the hoof, and she's then next thing you know they're sitting there and there's a pl- table of food. It's really like that, 
That's like, you so couldn't get out the door without having food. It was not an option. You'd have to really... Uh, no matter what it was. ...plan your, your, your eating before and your visits. Yeah. Because you had to... <laughs> I'm sure you couldn't just sit down and have, like, I'm not going to have a bite. You really have to... Yeah, no, and she had this thing. It was, there was this hilarious thing my grandmother used to do. She had this thing where she wanted to... She, she wanted to plump us all up. So I had this this uh, this sense memory moment where I... I when I'm at the restaurant and I, I get to work, I always eat granola and some yogurt and some berries to start my day. And someone didn't order yogurt or, we, you know, we used it to make something, whatever. Uh, and we were waiting for the yogurt to get there. And I'm like, I got to have my granola. <laughs> it's like part of my routine. And I was like, there's no milk. I'm like, there was only heavy cream. And I was like, ah, that's gross, but fuck it. Oh, um, my God. So I put a little heavy cream on my granola and I had a bite of it. And I was like, it was like that ratatouille moment where oh, I was like, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, wait a second. I got on the phone. I called my mom immediately. I was like, Mom, did did Nanny used to put heavy cream on my cereal instead of milk? And she's like, oh, yeah, she used to do that all the freaking time. <laughs> I'm like, I just had granola with heavy cream in it. I was like, holy cow, this tastes like the cereal my grandmother used to make. And then me. the next call is to your shrink being like, we can skip the next month because I, I figured a few things out. <laughs> I figured, I, I, I got it. It was the heavy cream. It's like, I'm running when I'm a kid, but I don't understand. The yeah. weight won't go up. Um, so at what point do uh, this, you know, you see your grandfather, you're, they're raising ducks, their hospitality, the food. When did you start thinking, like, maybe this is the fe- the life path I want to go down? My uncle, uh, who ma- who married into the, into our family, uh, married my mom's sister. So his brother has a restaurant that's still in Long Island. Um, it's, Shout it out! It's called Varney's. Okay, uh, it's awesome. Awesome. I still I still hit it every time I'm home. Um, it is, you know, the 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 New England style, uh, New England, New England style uh, seafood shack. So it's oh. like you know mussels, fried fish sandwiches, broiled uh, broiled mako, and like you know sh- shrimp cocktail and things like this. And it's and like the best clam chowder and and all from scratch. Yeah, and it, it like I remember there was this one um, there was this woman that used to bring picked blue claw crab meat every like. Tuesday and Friday or something like that and that's all she did like her husband would crab and then she'd sit at home and pick and she'd show up and have like two quarts of crab meat and we'd buy the, and do the broiled crab meat or I mean so that that it still exists it's 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 awesome um and that said I was 14 my uncle was working there and they opened up on Sundays and so my mom they needed a dishwasher so my mom put me um in the uh Put you in the game. Put me in the game. She said, "Franny, you're you're uh, you're gonna go to um, work for your uncle." And I said, "Okay, that's cool." I, I was, uh, you know, I was totally game for that. My a couple of my friends had jobs and they started yeah. making their own money. I was like, "Okay, this is gonna be cool now. I have my own money." Um, and then Sundays got busy and they needed an extra cook and I was starting to pick things up. So they they kind of slid me onto the grill and I was like doing a little grilling when uh. I was like fifteen. I'm like. But I would say by, like, you know, the, in the first month or the, the even the second week, I was like, okay, this is awesome. This like, is awesome. rock and roll music playing on the radio. We're right. cooking food. Like, just hanging out with my uncle. Like, that was... I was like, you can... I can just do this for a living. Like, I, I never liked going to school and sure. taking classes. I was always trying to figure a way out of that. Yeah. Um, and you're like, this seems mom-approved. 
yeah. family business, and and I could do this for a living. This is great. So, so then, when it. did so you're fourteen, fifteen? Yeah. At what point did you make the decision that you know Sundays were going to turn into your entire life? Um, I don't, I don't know. That was it was it was weird because I always liked cooking. After that, then I started working at the Bellport Restaurant, which was a very big influence on me. And I met uh, Chef Taylor Alonzo, and Taylor is one of my mentors in life. And uh, you know, as as a as as you know chef and and friend and uh and that's when I started seeing like some some more fine dining kind of stuff and and some serious technique and then I really started pushing to do that then I then at one point I remember having three different jobs all around Bellport I was mm. working at uh an Italian restaurant I was working at a cafe and I was working at the Bellport all the same time so I feel like that's kind of when the decision started yeah um I was and the family was behind it yeah, there was. I was making my own money, and um, <laughs> they got to come to my restaurants and eat food. And yeah, of course they were behind it. Um, I don't think they knew. That was kind of before. It's kind of funny. That's before Kitchen Confidential came out. Sure. So they nobody they were like they kind of had an idea of what happened in restaurants. And I'm not saying the restaurants I worked in at the time were those New York those early New York City restaurants that were a little gritty. Um, I do remember my grandfather read that book and wanted me out of the restaurant business. Really? He had a, he had the, the opposite, more visceral reaction He to was it. like, okay, no. He's like, you don't want you doing, like, elephant walks of doing drugs yeah, on the bar and, and like uh, that. And then when I said I'm moving to Manhattan, they, again, there was there was another foot put down that was like, no, you're not going to Manhattan. What are you, crazy? And they're like... But that, you, that you, was a you thing. took me there. You took you guys exactly. You, you guys there. started. This. You guys started this. <laughs> if you got, if you guys didn't want to go Manhattan, we sure. should have been going on the weekends and showing me all that stuff. You should have taken things out of the yeah. house. So I did. I moved to Manhattan. I think that's that's when it that's when it really happened. That's when, like, when I started seeing that kind of food. When I, I was, it was the my, the first job I could get because back then there was you know. There was a lot, uh, a lot less cooks. There were sure. stronger, you know. The kitchens were. It was harder to get into kitchens. It was yeah. harder to get a restaurant job. Much harder. Um, and I had hit the pavement for like weeks, and I just couldn't find a job. And I needed like to pay my first month's rent. Yeah. But I, I'm, I'm like, oh my goodness, what am I doing? I called an old old friend who had breezed through Bellport at, at one point, but I knew he lived in the city, uh, and he had a job for me in. Jersey City so my first job was commute I used to live in Astoria I would commute all the way through Manhattan down to World Trade take the path over to Jersey City and walk to a place that I think is still there it's called the the Iron Monkey and that was like my first job was like you know a a two and a half hour commute from Astoria (laughs) you want to talk about a reverse commute to working in Jersey yeah Uh, well listen we're going to take a quick musical break because I know for a fact that your pedigree of where you cooked in New York gets a lot stronger. Yeah, for well, anyone this, who knows this, this is kind of where it's started. Though. It started, uh, but we're gonna take a, a quick musical break. Uh, hear some live music from one of our past bands on Snacky Tunes here live on Heritage Radio Network org. If you're facing a judge with a fistful of drugs All accomplices fled from your sight The responsible one feels the wrath Takes the brunt of it all With a false sense of pride 
the papers all follow you from town to town. Your exes all forward the mail. For thirty-six moons, little food on her plate. She's an outlaw in the salty state. If you're still up at dawn, feeling trashed like a pawn in a game, all the animals play. Light a candle to pray, light the bowl and relate to the wild ones, the witches and slaves. She fought for a freedom that doesn't exist. What's wrong with these people? She cried. Just four years ago, when her case is dismissed, we'll drive round the border or fly. The shackles will fall to the ground. Released from the spell for a while. Her record was cleaned by the maid. Don't punish. I made a mistake. Only two things to choose: either jail time or blues. The latter choice must make you stronger. Be it one state or more, if you don't know the laws. Sentence could stretch on forever. The bright side of torture is stories for days. The skeletons out of the closet. The music is soothing, inspiring to boot. The slow-moving sweet dissonance. The shadows will fall to the ground. Released from the spell for a while. Her record was clean by the maid. Welcome back. We're sitting with Francis J. Derby of the Cannibal, but before the Cannibal and after Jersey City, after Jersey after City, after Jersey City, you um, you had your pedigree of where you cooked in New York. 
is impressive. So the, the, the Jersey City job was the one that kind of propelled me into that. I, I was working for this guy named Asbel, and, the, I, and we had this conversation about the guy I was replacing, why they were, why they were hiring me. He's like, yeah, I saw this guy fry out on the line, and uh, I've never seen anything like it. I just had to jump on the line, and he's like, that's, that's, that's who you'll be replacing. He's like, 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 we're here in Meltdown? Yeah, yeah, a total Meltdown. Like, just forgot how to cook and was standing there just... Throwing like, his shoes in the fry basket. Yeah, doing weird shit, yeah. yeah. And so he's like, and I was cooking for a very good friend of mine, doing a tasting, and um, that friend of his happened to be Paul Liebrandt. Um, I'm sorry, who? Yeah, Paul Liebrandt. Um, who had I, I had already had this weird connection to, because the guy I was, uh, a good friend of mine, I was yeah. supposed to move to the city with, was a bartender at Atlas. So... What was that like? Atlas? Yeah. Awesome. So it, that's when that was the that was the real deciding factor was when I walked into Atlas right to do I was I I just basically wanted to work in that kitchen and I went there and um, started staging there on my uh, on my days off and um, basically I would have you know my my two days off I would go work at Atlas on those days. Uh, that was the first time I'd seen food like that, and I was that. That was a decision. Can you just say for people who aren't familiar with Atlas, what was the food like? Oh yes, the food at Atlas was really, really like avant-garde. You know, it's it's not far off from what Paul Brandt cooks today. But yeah. he was twenty-three, and that was and seventeen years ago, and that didn't exist in New York. Yeah, especially not on Central Park West. No, at you know at that price point, like I mean, you could. I mean, I don't even know if that restaurant would would survive in that area it, nowadays. It's, but it was so it was the execution was so perfect. Like you couldn't deny that what what Paul was doing was was amazing. Um, I I had this other side of me that we haven't spoken about, and that was the fact that the other thing I was hoping to accomplish by moving to the city, if it was not cooking, cooking being the job, not mm-hmm. the career path, was. To be on Broadway, to get to to get an acting career together. Really? Yeah. No, I did. I literally voice training, acting coaches, my whole life, dancing the the whole the whole nine since I was like six years old. I had no idea. Yeah. Uh, it was it was favorite the, musical. Oh, that's tough. Um, I don't know. Funny thing happened on the way. The forum's a good one. Fantastic. Um. I guess you did mention in the in the first part you did go to Broadway shows. But, went to a lot of Broadway but shows. To me, I that, just thought that was your parents dragging no, you. But it's you wanting. To I was go. super hyperactive as a kid, and there was a dance studio behind our house. And my mom was like, "Here, you guys take them for you an take hour. them." And I just, I was just you. Could, I, it was one of those things like where I hated going, but the second I got there, you couldn't get me out of it. Right. Like I'm like, no, I want to stay. So. I mean, so then New York had everything you wanted. I was taking... Yeah, yeah, so I was taking these... This was when the decision happened, really. I was at Atlas, and I was taking these... Um, I was taking classes at K. Michael Patton, and I was... Which was a, a pretty good studio. Oh my God. And... I mean, you were really in it. Yeah, no, I was in it. And I was auditioning, like... I got, like, several callbacks for Stomp when I got there, because I, I used to play yeah. drums as well, so, like, that was kind of really up my alley. And, um, and so then... Uh, Paul Liebrand offered me a job. He basically, middle of service one night, he's like, do you want to come work for me? And, I, like, it was, like, really on the spot. And I was like, uh, yeah, I would love to. I have, you know, I just would have, you know, I have 
Tuesday and Thursdays I have my acting classes and I might have to take off for auditions sometimes. Is that cool? And he said, absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not. You make the decision. And I was like, fuck, uh, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And I said, okay, fine. Done. And that was it. That was it. That was pretty much it. I was like, you know what? Forget it. Like, I'm, I've, I've been doing both of these for a very long time. I'm so passionate about this food thing. I've found myself in this amazing position of like being right in the thick of it and it that was not going the same for me on the other end that wasn't like yeah i was meeting all these producers and directors and 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 making friends with a whole ton of actors i was actually just thinking about food the whole time so wow so you really you can really define your life path at this one moment yeah um i mean that then was how i met sam mason and and i'm sorry who sam mason um hi sam uh that's how I met Sam Mason, and then from there, met Wiley Dufresne, and that's when I joined the team at WD-50, and that was pretty much it. Like, that was... I mean, that that's like the major leagues. Yeah. I mean, the fa- I mean Atlas holds a very special place for those who are... It's a very, like, inside baseball foodie, like... Yeah, like that. people but, that know are like, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. but WD-50 was... That's... Like, I, can, I still remember the dishes from Atlas, like... yeah. Like it, it, it was a very it was it made a very big impact on me. Um, I mean, Atlas was before my time, but WD fifty was the meal that I know when my life changed. And there was a, a mm. tasting menu that my brother and I did for our birthday, and there was the way that I saw food before that, yeah, and the way that I saw food after that. And that restaurant has shaped and colored so much of my food world and profession, but. What was it like being there and being part of that team? In well, that I moment? was part of like opening opening team, which means like there was still dirt on the floor. Uh, Atlas had closed at that point. Um, you know, uh, Sam was. I, I, I was working on Long Island again just to kind of get get by for a little bit while I was trying to find my next move in New York. And Sam was like, "You're going to come work uh, at WD50." And I didn't know anything about Wiley yet, or yeah. any of his food, and I had not had his food or seen it. And I was like, "What if he doesn't hire me?" He's like, "Don't worry about it. He's he will." Um, and I approached Wiley and, and basically said, "You know, I'd like to be your opening garmage, even though I can roast meat, cook fish." Sure. Um, at that point, I've been cooking for a, a while. At that point, uh, maybe not at that level, but I can. I I, I felt like I can hold my own. Um, that said, I still wanted to start at the bottom, and his reaction was, he's like, I gotta tell you, he's like, I've had a lot of people come and, and, you know, ask me about a position here, and they all want sous chef and meat roast, and, you know, I'm not a single person's come up and asked me for garmage. I was like, well, garmage is kind of like my thing, like, I, yeah. I adore that work, like, that stuff is important yeah. to me. Um, and then yeah, they, it was basically it was basically on. Like we were, I was one of the very few people at Wiley's apartment recipe testing. It was the first time I was introduced to his style of how he pulls things from people. Meaning, like literally, I think the first day I met him, it was at his apartment. They were working on the corn duck, and there was two versions. One was seared, one was not. One was seared, one was poached, and he puts puts them in front of me. He's like, "Which one do you like better?" And I'm like. Uh, uh, what? What? I'm sorry. <laughs> like, 
Like, I'm sorry, you're asking me? Like, you, you actually want my... He's like, yeah. We, he's like, I was like, I like this one. He's like, interesting. He's like, that, that's the one... You know, Sam likes that one. I, I actually like this one. He's like, but there's no right or wrong answer. It's just what, which one do you like? And what do you, what do you think What do you think would go with this? And I'm like, I don't know. Maybe some sort of a dried fruit situation. He's like, oh, we got that dried fr- cranberry mustarda in the fridge. Let's try that. And I was like, whoa, this is crazy. Yeah. You know, coming from... Chefs that were just this is you're like yes chef yes yes chef. Um, So from there, uh, you know you're at W50. You helped Sam open Taylor, Mm -hmm. and then you wound up working uh, at Momofugo Sambar Mm -hmm. for David Chang. I did, which I remember when that opened and when it was a burrito place, and then yeah, and then it shifted to Taylor days. The Taylor days when it was burrito place, and I my cousin used to live around the corner, and we'd walk over your burritos. And then it became what essentially was like, the, not the start of the empire, but that that flip of what it became. Yeah, well, there was that that cool thing about you know when Dave started building the team, and he and he, he you know that was like the the early Tin Ho days where mm-hmm. they started making like veal head terrines, and yeah. you can only have it after twelve at night. Yeah. And then they started doing the chawamushi with the snails, and the, and that was like, and it was like this. This kind of like it was what's, a shift. what's what's happening over yeah. there right now, and like you knew when you went there on the late night, which is when all the chefs would go yeah. there, you knew you were going to see something that no one else was doing in the city, and some of it was like really cool classic stuff, and some of it was kind of fun, like more experimentational yeah. stuff. Like that's when they started the oyster with the kimchi consomme, and like, uh. um, and that you know that that started that that was a new style at that, at that point. It was this. You know, you're having food from all these guys that worked in these high-end places, but next to, you know, a, a can of OB beer, and you know, it, yeah. in that environment, it, it, was it like, definitely Whoa. felt like a, it was like a the beginning of like the new club, yeah, of New York. But importantly for you, you met Corey Lane that's, when you yep, were there. Yep, that's, um, that's when I st- uh, started working with Corey. Yeah, and from there, that led to you joining the Cannibal Team. In yeah, I had, so I did. I worked with uh, I worked with Momo for a while. It was, you know, that that experience for me was incredible. That was the, you know, I was chef de cuisine uh, of and of the opening of Taylor. Taylor was a little bit of a different. I mean, it was a much different restaurant. <laughs> Taylor was like I mean, its I would, own. Yeah, it was, it its, was its own thing. Tasting menus. It was very, you know, it it, it was it was very fun. We were hitting that fine dining thing. We were, we were both coming out of oh, the miso, miso. butterscotch. Uh, I might put that on the menu here. Uh, yeah, <laughs> if Sam will give me the recipe, I can't remember. You know, what? I I, um, I I have the recipe. All right, great. <laughs> Sorry, Sam. No, uh, so so you get over to the so we come yeah. from WD. I come from Spain. We uh, we come from you know that style, and then you know being thrown into this new world of like of like this was the first time I'd seen a machine like that, like. I mean, we. I went from doing, you know, a lot less covers, a lot more focus on plating and that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and then into like just push, you yeah. know, just and and that was um, that was a that was a big deal because now 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 it's like that was something I'd never seen. It's something I, I didn't come from, mm-hmm. um, and it's a that's a totally different monster, and that starts teaching you actually just how to how to how to run them. How to run a fast pace, yeah. high pace, I mean, high energy. And like, for, for those who are not familiar with Cannibal, which is still one of my favorite restaurants in New York. Thank you. And um, one of those, like, it feels so much like an insider secret 
Right. Just when you walk in, it looks like it's a beer shop, and in the back, it's like this insane attention to me. What is what is the cannibal? What's the approach to it? Why does it exist? Well, for for me, you know, I mean, it was easy for it was easy for Corey and I to work together in that style because that's where our comfort zones were working together, right? Mm-hmm. So if he's on the floor and I'm in the kitchen, the chances of it feeling somewhat like where we came from are, are very good, mm-hmm. you know? And so I had been, I had signed on and uh, as, as more of a consultant and wasn't really looking to settle into something like that. Uh, meat and charcuterie were never really my thing. Um, Especially with you doing the f- sort of fine dining high yeah. end stuff for the last few years. And I never really saw myself doing that. But I do like a challenge. I, I, and and um, they started getting busier and, and, and needed a full-time, a full-time chef at the Cannibal. And I started kind of taking, taking a liking to it because I, I could have a little fun. It was, you know, almost in the vein of like, like how Tin was kind of in, in a silent a, a, a silent in a, in a way, and then he's when he started at, at Momofuku, he just started he, like he'd put one dish on and then another yeah. dish, and then he snuck another one. And I, it started kind of like that like I was there as a consultant, but I was like, Yeah, maybe I'm gonna run this new bulgogi dish, or maybe I'm gonna run uh, make a pate and, and run that. And then it started to like evolve, and I'm like, Ah, oh, man, I, I think. I'm starting to dig this. He got I'm, me. I'm starting to dig. I'm starting to dig cooking in this style again, and uh, and that was it. And then you know, I always say it like it was always meant to be a butcher shop. It was always meant to supply the other restaurants, have a very small menu of of some charcuterie, house made, do some retail charcuterie, and and sell beer. But you know, you put a chef in control of that, and you get. A restaurant. Yeah, and in, so, and in many ways, it, I don't want to say it cannibalized resto, but you know, it it's it's sort of you it know became the cool kid. On it became the, block. the cool kid. Like you know? re- resto is was is a fantastic restaurant. Was a fantastic restaurant. Yeah, absolutely. But the people want that fun, that different approach to food. I mean, I, there's so many restaurants yeah. in New York. There's you know, look, New York's my home, and I, it's it's my favorite place on the planet. It, it's there's so many restaurants in New York. There are so many options that even even myself, I'm I'm constantly trying to to find the new the next new. T- I, yeah. I wanna I wanna have I wanna have my socks blown off one day. I wanna yeah. walk into a place and be like, whoa, like I haven't had food like this. Or you know, I I that's a hard thing to find. There, yeah. Like I, there's a lot of letdowns in that, but at the same time, once in a while you. S- you find a place like that, and you're like, "Wow, you've you know." And then it gets out to your friend, you know, like you've got to go here. I mean, it is sick. I mean, that is definitely a recommendation spot for me. That's one where I know that if I send people there, they'll come back and be like, "Holy shit!" Yeah. Now, well, was, thank you. was the idea of blowing socks off new next the reason? One of the reasons why you decided to open up in L.A. How did that happen? So L.A. happened happened be- without. I was not part of that conversation. I didn't. There was even. A, a time when I didn't think I was going to be part of this project. Um, that said, as we evolved and as then we opened Hell's Kitchen, and I'm, sure. I became more of you know overseeing the two places in New York. It, it just LA can't happen, you know, in in its 
you can't bring a, a brand of something that we've we've totally created with all the, the without the key players. Sure, of like, course. They're 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 it, it wouldn't out, have worked. You get out here and you're like, what well, I, there's this? no way I could convey yeah. to another chef like, hey, just do this and it'll be it'll be cool. Pretty much the same thing. It, it just it would that would never work. Uh, it was never my intention to move um, to L.A. Uh, I I am happy I got to spend it's time nice here though. It's yeah, it's. It's LA. It's California. It's Southern Cali. Um, you know, it's it's there's oceans and there's it's I, it's great. But and the food scene out here is great. Like I, it's awesome. I have there's a, there's a reason why Lucky Peach did a whole issue on it. I saw I saw that. Um, there's there's this part of it that I don't know that oh, that really exists in New York, unfortunately, um, and that's this. When I got here. I felt like a lot of the chefs were just, well, like, hey, welcome to town. Like, almost like showing up with housewarming gifts even. Like, you know, yeah. Bruce Coleman showing up and just bringing me a bunch of pasta and being like, hey, welcome to town. And, like, bringing his crew here on a regular basis and just, just to check in yeah. and, and, and see the progress and be like, hey, you, you come, you know, come to this event. And, like, it was really easy to make a lot of, a lot of chef friends here. It doesn't feel like... It doesn't feel like competition. It feels like, like everybody's just so stoked to have more people, more talent, more, more places to go, more, more food to see. And I feel like that about the cooks out here as well. Yeah. Like, you know, I, th- I feel, I feel like a lot of the cooks are, they're just like they're hungry to learn. And and this being a, a new restaurant, a, a new place, um, a new place that you know, it doesn't really exist here. Uh, they're just they're they're happy to be here and learn, and that that's that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, it's really awesome. Um, and if having the place in LA wasn't enough, you guys just opened up another place back in New York. Yeah. So unfortunately, um, we did uh, have to close Resto, but the reason for that uh, is because we've had this other concept that we've wanted to do. It's a kind of you know, it it kind of completes the brand. Not not that not that the brand is totally complete, um, but in the sense of like strengthening what what it is that we're doing, we just we kind of keep adding on to what we're doing. And, and this uh, is the Cannibal Liquor House. So right? yeah, the Cannibal Liquor House. So this was our opportunity for us to do uh, basically cocktails and uh, and be a little bit more more forward in in booze. And 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 have the have the whiskeys and have some fun with it. Do some punches and some some milkshakes, some boozy milkshakes, and like that kind of stuff. All while be able to get some of the similar dishes. What's that? All, all while be getting able. To- that see now that was the challenge to me is like what what what's different about the food there than than and I didn't want to cross over. I didn't want it to just seem like we were just doing cannibal food there because that's what we do. Because I wanted can, it to yeah. be. Because Cannibal's known for its awesome beer program. Right. Beer yeah. program, charcuterie. Sure. So I don't really do charcuterie or you, know, you can't walk in the liquor house and get a ham board or a salumi board or a cheese plate. Yeah. Um, to me, this is more about like a, a fun version of bar snacks and, and, and things that you would eat in pub. You know, like we have, we have Yorkshire pudding on the menus that comes with, you know, a braised veal cheek so that it's like, you know, snacky Yorkshire puddings, spread the gravy on there. We do burgers there. That's mm. We do a, a burger in uh, L.A., but we've never done one at the Cannibal in New York. 
Well, we have three different burgers. Well, we have four different burgers. <laughs> four if you include uh, brunch. So, like, brunch we do uh, a, a, a breakfast burger. It's got fried egg on it and, and hollandaise. And um, we do a, a, a burger that's, a, you know, the, the dry age, eight-ounce dry age. We do a more... Um, what I call the every burger, which is the the special sauce, lettuce, tomato, onion, pickle, um, thin patty, American cheese, yeah. more like more like you know with the classics, yeah, that that kind of classic. We do another one that's just all all uh, all birds. Um, that is that we um, basically use a pate farce for. Mm. Uh, so it's chicken, um, duck, duck liver is the patty, and then it gets a three ounce. Torchon foie gras on top, sure. with quince jam, and we call that the Birdger. Well, that that in Manhattan should be called the Francis J Derby. Yeah, in, uh, honor, <laughs> in honor of the dad. Uh, well, listen, thank you for taking the time. Congratulations, you know I'm a big fan. Yeah, man, it's great. You know, and it's it's great to reconnect out here in LA. Uh, it's um, and yeah, awesome. Uh, and where great can people times. find more information about the restaurants? Um, our our emails. Um, you know, uh, just. It's uh, I think it's Cannibal LA, Cannibal NYC. Um, you guys have good Instagram games too. I, I, I you know I think it's important. Yeah, what? I feel like that's that's often how how I'll pick a restaurant. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, ooh, for, what was that photo I saw the other day? Although I went to the restaurant, but there was a, a dim sum place where they did a good photo, and I went in, and I got totally burned. It was, oh, it was absolute crap. Bummer. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you. I'll make sure to. Uh, Swing in for the happy hour, which is totally awesome out here. Yeah, you know, just boards of charcuterie and you know, chicken wings and little bar burgers and awesome. I, I mean, just don't tell, just don't tell my doctor. Okay. Yeah. Deal. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we have another uh, quick musical break and then some live music coming up here on Snacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network dot org. Good at everything The work that you put into it Is worth something they said But that's just it It's sort of hard to say What's one thing or the other Either way you get exhausted And deflated Everyone says it's okay But what do they know Milestones are overrated Our souls are paper thin We're running out With clever thoughts It's getting old We are in empty beds Floating down a river All alone I hate to break it to you kid But you are never going home And still you try And try to find another way Till you die when they look you in the eye You wanna climb up on a ledge Tape your last wishes to the fridge Well I don't wanna think about it 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 I feel an overwhelming nothing I feel nauseous and disgusted Feel lightheaded and estranged from life Feel lonely and insane I feel like watching television for eternity Until I shrivel up If God is smiling on you He must be smiling on me too Can you admit that makes no sense Not even for a second I ask you how you are, you're stressed I ask about your day, a mess I ask you what you plan You said you're settling the second best And still you try and try to find another way 
till you die when they look you in the eye. I know it's hard to hear, but you're the loser of the year. And I don't want to talk about it, I don't want to talk about it, I don't want to talk about it, I don't want to talk about it. tasted the world's best cheese? Grand Cru Sourchois is the 2016 World Cheese Champion. Our partners at Roth, Wisconsin make this gorgeous alpine-style cheese in the rolling hills of Greene County, Wisconsin. Grand Cru Sourchois is produced by hand in Swiss copper vats and finished by aging on spruce planks. The quality milk and careful craftsmanship bring out the award-winning light floral notes, nutty undertones, a hint of fruitiness, and a mellow finish. Perfect with Riesling and Muscat, Grand Cru Sourchois is a guaranteed hit for any occasion. Check out their other offerings at RothCheese.com. You'll discover Buttermilk Blue and their newest release, Prairie Sunset, the golden-hued love child of Mimolette and Gouda. You'll also find recipes like the Raclette Reuben and Tomato Tartlets. Everything you need to know about the world's best cheese is at RothCheese.com. I would like to welcome to Snacky Tunes, Lucius. Thank you. No, Hello. there's five of them, um, and just so it does not go to waste, they're all dressed in gender-specific matching outfits. Um, welcome to the show. Thank you. I was telling some of your boys that I saw you play at uh, Hamageddon at Guga Muga, oh. uh, and drew me in across the field. And then I was like, "Oh, these guys are great." And then, lo and behold, girly action. Horace works with you, and they sent you our way, and here you are on a. We're happy to kind be of here. Overcast, gray, December-ish day. Yeah, um, but surprisingly warm. Surprisingly warm. Yeah. Uh, so I want to start with the house in Ditmas Park, because mm-hmm. I had only recently learned about its Victorian secrets, and I want to know how you found the house, and you know, where it seems like that's kind of where it all began. Well, Holly and I had been singing together and writing before then, but we <clears throat> found the house on Craigslist. And um, we were just looking for a place with a bunch of friends, and um, we knew nothing of the house's history through the through the Craigslist posting. And we showed up, and we had already lost a house that we really wanted to have, so we were sort of weary of the situation. Like, we didn't want to get too excited about something that was not going to happen. And we showed up, we walked through the front door, and there's like... Vintage organs and a Grand Steinway piano and a recording studio in the basement and it was sort of like what? Yeah. <laughs> what kind of dream did we step into? Um, what was the working order of all the various working order? It all kind of worked, or we just needed to tune the piano and everything was yeah, yeah. It was working. There was a couple pianos in the house that were 
like from the yeah. 1800s that definitely were not working. Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, it was pretty it's magical. Pretty amazing. Yeah. Did you just were like, we'll sign right now. We don't care. Yeah. Well, then we we saw the rest of the house, and it was just yeah, it was sort of we're like we have to make this work. Also, there was tons of records in the basement, but clearly, like the landlords didn't know the importance of all this stuff. Right. They didn't even mention it in the Craigslist ad. So when we moved in, all the records were gone. Yeah, three thousand records. He just threw them out. He didn't sell them on eBay or anything. You asked him. Yeah. Because we're like, where did they go? Oh, threw them out. They're old records. Like you just. <laughs> They just Ugh. had no idea. Um, but all the gear was still there. Yes. Yeah. You were like, please keep the organ. No, we didn't know. I mean, we just didn't know that he was even considering moving anything. Oh, you just took it as an omen, less like, hey, this will be left here. So yes. how did then those how did those instruments begin to factor into the band? Well, we started writing on the piano and um, um, met a bunch of neighborhood friends, including Danny and Pete. And, Who are in um, the band? People can't see that you're looking around, but they're oh, also sorry. in the band. Yes, Danny, Pete, and Andy. Um, and we just started hanging out and having like little jam sessions and writing on our front patio, and um, that's sort of how it how it began. Okay, well, why don't we um, why don't we hear a song first? Sure, let's do it. This is called Wilder Woman. It's an unreleased track. Yeah, we're ripping out the pages. 
Amazing. Um, it's really so, funny to watch all these people. I know. Here. So you you see, it kind of like answers your question. Like they, the people, the table by the window, they hear it. The people that are further out, like they kind of hear it. Okay. Like when you get loud, they're like, what? But they can see us, obviously. Kind of. Oh, they just. It's kind of like it's not a two-way mirror, but just because they're of the way that's lit. With their phone and stuff. Maybe they're taking pictures of their food. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> maybe it's, we it's, should it's, moon them. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag Roberta's Hashtag band um, I feel like this show Is very Like stereotypical Like people could Come out of town And be like oh, Of course there's like A radio show And a band Playing here Or eating pizza They're like How Brooklyn How Bushwick Oh and they're all Matching in outfits hmm. I mean like I said uh, Usually my brother Is here uh, And we are twins So people are just like mm, Twin hipsters hosting. So it's like Just kind of checks the list um, Vocals play such a huge Part of your band And I'm curious How that factors Into the overall writing process of your song you know where do you start and you know where do the ideas come from um and then how do you essentially build the layers of the the songs that you make each song is different i mean sometimes we come up with a, a like a line for a chorus or a part of a verse and um and then build around that or sometimes we come up with like a vocal little tidbit yeah i mean we've started writing together really like it was the first time we had really explored with writing about seven years ago. And it's we've been lucky because we've had very similar um, sort of patterns and sort of experiences in our lives that we've been able to relate to one another. And um, it's made the like writing example? process just heartbreak and falling in love and... Um, you know, I mean, just even the even the, even moving, even, you know, living in the same place, moving to a different place, 
um, having to grow accustomed to a different lifestyle. I mean, just those types of things. Got it. And then, so if it starts between you two, um, how does the music and then uh, enter in, and then how do the background vocals as well um, play a factor? We're just like, let's do something fun. Yeah, we like <laughs> to experiment. It's the arrangement process is really collaborative. Danny's a producer, so he comes up with cool ideas when they're when everyone's recording for harmonies and backing vocals and all that stuff. The thing was, when we recorded our record, we weren't really a band. <clears throat> Holly and I had some songs. We got together with Danny, started recording, brought Pete in to play on some tracks, and we had never played together as a band. Got it. And then, um, so the record recorded, and then you're like, you guys want to play in our band? Basically. Yeah. It's like, this makes sense. Let's let's try this out. Uh, and, um, and then Andy joined the band. Um, <laughs> oh, welcome, Andy. Thanks. High five. <laughs> On air, high five. Uh, so then as as that came, I mean, you guys, I mean, most bands, you know, they play around for forever. Like, oh, we should record something. And then uh, how did it become, you know, recording the record, then forming a band, and then taking it on the road? I mean, we really, um, the band is is pretty young. It's only about a year old, and um, our first tour was like two months ago, not even. So um, that's just uh, an opportunity came about. And Where, and where we, was it? Um, we went out with J.D. McPherson, who's oh, an incredible um, rockabilly artist, and um, Milo Green, who like indie folk band. Um, so all over the Northeast, Canada, um, and the Midwest. So, I mean, you guys are essentially okay. band first and now becoming friends type of situation. I mean, most uh, people... Not friends? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk. Okay, well, this has got real interesting. Let's talk about it. No, we, we, um, we met... Um, we all met through this band, sort of, in, you know, we all, we all knew each other through the small community of playing music in the same city, but... Uh, it did bring us all together, and you know we met Andy not too long ago. But Danny had been working with, you know, Andy uh, was playing another band called Annie and the Beekeepers, um, and Danny it was a pretty their record. yeah. So it was a pretty natural progression of how all the pieces came about, and then you learn about uh, you know what everyone's stinky underwear smells like <laughs> along the way so it's just like there was like oh I think that's my then we really no, fell in love stinky I just washed it all last night <laughs> yeah Holly Holly did a really nice thing Holly washed, washed everybody's underwear the day we got off to her she took everyone's clothes and she's like you know what I'm taking this on <laughs> yeah. uh, and then you're like oh I think that's my bow tie or I think that's my button up shirt yeah we, my shirts are the ones that are ripping in the back the ladies I, pretty much yeah. keep track of where all the clothes are because Otherwise, we would leave them in each city. Is each night a different uh, look, or is it uniform across across the whole tour? It's a different outfit. We have so many different looks. Um, <laughs> no, it's We're usually, really looking so to Paris this year, a little bit of Greece, maybe some Milan. <laughs> we call this our midnight look. More like Grandma's Closet. <laughs> um, why don't we hear uh, another tune? Cool. Cool. This is called Go Home. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. One, two, three, four. 
That one was on a shared experience of heartbreak. Just <laughs> hoping I'm not reading into that too much. Um, I want to talk about the comp that you made um, because Freelance Whales are good friends of ours and good friends of the show. They were on two weeks ago. Um, and we love them. Um, they actually re-recorded our theme song and they're the best. Uh, but tell me about this comp, like where it came from, um, how it came together. and Our van was stolen with all of our gear after our show. Um, 
back in, what was it, July or something. And um, we had to do a pledge campaign because although the insurance company covered the car, we had about like $20,000 worth of gear that was stolen. And um, basically just called on all of our friends for help. And through that, we sort of came up with the idea of doing a compilation disc um, friends covering friends songs didn't have to worry about copyright didn't have to worry about any of that so um, uh, the freelance whales uh, gave us permission to do their tune they're good friends of ours and um, that's how that came about mm-hmm. who else was on the comp spring standard Sydney Wazer um, Elizabeth like and Dana. the Catapult I'm looking at Dana because these are all other snacky tunes bands uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, you won't. You won't. Jukebox the ghost. Amazing. And so, did you? Were you able to raise the money back and replace all your gear? Yes. And so now, what? How do you get the comp? Because I want the comp. Oh, <laughs> it's a secret, but I will send it to you. It's a secret. Yeah. No, we're. It's. It's only to the people that pledged. Oh wow. That was the whole sort of. And then once it was, you premises. raised the money. It was done. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's actually really great. Yeah. To be kept in the vaults for another van that gets stolen. Yeah, full, uh, full of knock on wood well, yeah. gear and everything, yeah. <laughs> or or in the vault for something positive. Yeah. Oh yeah, that that thing. Um, so, as you know, five relative, well, two old friends and some newer friends and one very new friend. Uh, Telling Road, do you guys get time to explore and eat in the cities that you were on tour with? Do you guys eat well together? Yeah. Sometimes. I mean, we like we all like to cook. So, any opportunity we have to just go and get some fresh eggs and make something make a sweet breakfast usually breakfasts are where to stay with people with kitchens oh really yeah we don't we we've been staying with friends or like in our two tour we've we've stayed in one hotel (laughs) with one in one hotel yeah usually just staying with yeah make an announcement on stage anybody have a bed for us really a Mm. floor for us Mm -hmm. how does that work well, <laughs> do, do like, they're like, we will cook you breakfast. You have to go we'll with them you, breakfast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. With, none of, with none of the shame. I'll make yeah. shakshuka anytime. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. You got that's my dish. That's, I mean, that's a good, I would let you sleep on my couch. <laughs> what now do, is a requirement that one of each of you, all five of you make a dish? Or is like, do you people usually have just like one dish? Well, there was Jess and Holly, like, I just found this out, our taco masters. <laughs> Made, you guys made incredible, like a. Oh yeah, like, we went to really the farmers good. market, guacamole. Oh yeah. yeah. Like everything was like its own little featured plate, and then I just smashed it all together. Like, Thanks. Slammed oh, no. it in your face. Yeah. yeah. So like, breakfast. Really topic. crispy potatoes. Yeah, Danny's Danny's go-to breakfast dish is definitely shakshuka, and that is always a crowd pleaser. Yeah, it's e- it's easy and delicious. How do you make yours? Um. Well, <laughs> yeah, get on in here. Get close to that, Mac. Um, I've been standing about ten feet away up until now. Yeah. Um, usually, uh, I make a, some sort of tomato stew, um, and I'll add some kind of sweet element like carrots, or sometimes shh, a little ketchup, <laughs> and uh, and then just let it like. <laughs> hey, man, it's a food show. We're yeah. like, it's a food show. Let's yeah. talk about ketchup. <laughs> Yeah. No, hey, I mean, it, I'll, I'll tell you this. My mom's chicken growing up thought it was the most gourmet stuff ever. Three ingredients there. Ready? Lipton's onion soup, apricot preserve, 
and French onion dressing. That sounds amazing. And I thought that was like, and I still make it and still pat. Oh, this thing, ours. <laughs> Actually, just yeah. before we came in here, Pete and I were talking about all the like dishes that we had as kids that were like kind of symptoms of being like ch- children of the '80s, like salad dressing and chicken legs. Like that's it, just like yeah. the worst Italian that's dressing. What I thought you were gonna say, yeah. yeah. No, but I mean, but it was kind of like, and I always tried to make it, and it never tastes as good. And my mom goes, well, why did you get it? I was like, well, I got fat-free French dressing, <laughs> you know. And she's like, no, you need to get this shit that's terrible for you in the 80s when we didn't know any better. Yeah. And put that in a pot. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then, of course, yeah. better. It's the best right. thing ever. All right, so ketchup and? Um, so you make the stew until it, like, simmers down and a lot of the acidity goes away. And then you just poach eggs on top of it for, like, five minutes and there it is. Usually, I mean, my dad, he went to the Israeli army, and the way he described it to me is it would always be like whatever vegetables were left over from the night before, like the meal they had. So shakshuka was kind of like a poor man's breakfast. It was right. like, let's just take leftover veggies, throw it in a pot, throw some eggs on it. But Do you put the bow tie on when you're cooking in the morning? Do yes. I put the what? The bow tie on. Always. Only, only bow tie. Only bow tie. <laughs> <laughs> Backless apron yeah, and a yeah. bow tie. Um, so what do you guys have coming up? Coming up next, the EP is out. <clears throat> EP is out. We are um, finishing our full length record, and we have a big show in um, New York on January 18th with Tall Tall Trees Amazing. at Mercury Lounge. Amazing. Tickets available now. Tickets are available now as of Friday. Um, great. So do you want to give people the nuts and bolts where they can buy the EP, where they can find you? It's on iTunes. Um, I love Lucius dot com. L u c i u s. Um, we're on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all those things. And, um, yeah, thanks so much for listening. Yeah. Um, you want to give that, those keys a test to make sure that it, there we go. Sweet. Um, well, big shout out to the melt shop and Spencer, Bullfrog and bomb shout out to girly action, Dana. Thank you so much. Roberta's as always, Jack, welcome back from vacation, Joe, the whole crew. Uh, we have one more episode left for this year. Um, I, believe it's team playing live and i'm not sure the food guest because uh that's just where i'm at right now in my life and don't judge me thank you so much guys for coming this has been thanks so much for having us what's the name of the last song it's called turn it around and we actually have a video that that came out about a month and a half ago it's on youtube for this song so okay so check it out um thanks everybody listening snacky tunes shout out to darren and joe and uh, mom and dad and dad feel better see you guys next week feel better dad
We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.